Um, you know, as I was thinking about uh, today's message, uh, two stories in the Bible come to mind, and those are the two stories I want to share today as part of our message as we begin a new series called All In. And what does all in mean? All in means, just like the words say, uh, we're going to be all in, and uh, we're not going to look behind, we're not going to look uh, at uh, past things, and we're, we're going to just uh, really make the commitment uh, as a church and as a people to be all in in everything that we want to do. And uh, these stories, I think, as we look at them today, are going to do a couple of things for us. The first thing that the stories are going to do is it's going to actually, you know, have us do a gut check. A gut check to ask ourselves, am I really the person that God wants me to be? And uh, am I growing in a way that God wants me to grow? And it's also going to be a reality check for us. And a reality check in a sense of why am I here and, and, and why, why does worshiping God matter? And more importantly, why is it important to be a part of St. Paul um, United Methodist Church here in Largo? So I'm hopeful that as we go through today uh, that we will uh, come to some conclusions. Uh, the first story I want to share with you comes out of Matthew chapter 14. Um, Jesus has just done a bunch of teaching. Uh, the disciples are with him and he says, hey guys, I, I need a break. And he says, I'm just going to go and pray, but you guys get in the boat and uh, just go on to the other side of, of the lake. And that's exactly what the disciples do. Uh, but what we find in this story is that um, something miraculous happens. Uh, there is, as Matthew describes, uh, it wasn't just a small little blip of waves that started hitting the boat. Matthew says that a huge squall comes and attacks the boat that the 12 disciples were in. Jesus is on the shore. He's far away from the boat. But yet, all of a sudden, these waves are just lapping against the boat. And Matthew says that they're having great difficulty just keeping the boat topside and uh, keeping it from capsizing. And all of a sudden, Matthew says that as they look out on the horizon, they see a figure that is coming to them on the water. And their first thought was kind of what you and I would think. It's a ghost. Uh, who can that be? I mean, who can walk on the water? And, and, and so they think that the person that's coming after them uh, is a ghost. And, and as they're looking at that, they're trying to get their handle on recognizing who is that person that's coming. Now, I want us to take a second because I really think that the disciples, uh, they take a lot of stuff by all of us who are on the other side or at the end of the story, so to speak. We know how this story ends. We know what they did, what they didn't do and all that. And sometimes we find ourselves a little bit pious about it or maybe a little righteous about it. And we go like, how could they not know that was Jesus? Well, think about it. You know, when you're in a storm in life, um, let's imagine that you're in a boat and, and you are uh, near being capsized in a boat and you have fears and you have doubts and you have all sorts of emotions that are just clamoring upon you and just, you know, railing against you and, and moving you in different directions. It's, a, it's, it's one of those things where, of course, they didn't know it was Jesus because I'm not sure you and I would know because we, we just aren't sure because of the things that are happening around us. Well, Mark's gospel says this. Mark's gospel says that Jesus intended to pass them by. And if we take a look at that word, Jesus intended to pass them by, it almost makes us think that, that Jesus was just going to like go right by the boat and never say hi or hello or hey or, or any of those kinds of things. He was just going to go right on by. But Mark uses that specific Greek word, passed by, which transliterates into a word that we call theophany. And a theophany is the living presence of God manifest itself in front of an individual or persons so that they know that God is present. 
when we go back into the uh, story of Moses, and Moses stands before the burning bush. That's a theophany. God made his presence known in a bush that would not burn up. When God traveled with the Israelites through the desert, he was smoked by day, fire by night. That's a theophany, a symbol of God with the people. So God passing them by, Jesus passing them by, uh, is a way of God affirming to the disciples that he was with them. And, and more importantly, that he's trying to communicate with the disciples to let them know that no matter what is happening at that moment in their life, no matter what devastation that they think may come, that he is with them, that he has not abandoned them, but that he goes with them in the midst of that. It's interesting that the disciples uh, entered the boat in the first place, and they did so by Jesus' invitation. And Jesus said, get in the boat. So they would have to learn, as do we, that, that obedience is never a guarantee that keeps us out of adversity. Now think about that statement for a second. Obedience is never a guarantee that it will keep us out of the circumstances of adversity. If you're living in a faith that says that, that if you feel that you're at one with God and God's with you and, and that's why your life is perfect and, and then all of a sudden the wheels fall off the bus, you really need to think differently. Jesus never promised. In fact, he said that we will have great troubles in this life, didn't he? He said we'll have great challenges. We'll have great struggles. But that's where the glory of God manifests itself in such a powerful way. And that's where God shows up in those unmistakable moments. When we're, when we're not even thinking about it, that God shows up and miracles begin to happen. And this is the kind of thing that we see here. Jesus passes by the disciples. They're in the boat. It's getting tossed to and fro. And he says this message to them. I mean, he kind of says, you know, like dudes, you know, Jesus used that language. Dudes. He's like, dudes, you know, don't be afraid. I, I'm here. i, I I told you I'd protect you. I told you to trust me, didn't I? It's all going to be fine. And, and they begin to see some changes in, in what's happening in their environment. Now, 12 disciples sat in that boat. The things that were going through the minds of 11 of them, we could all just postulate. You know, fear, uh, concern, uh, apprehension, um, uh, overwhelmed, whatever those words might be. That's what 11 of them were thinking. But one of the disciples, Peter, was thinking something entirely different. And Peter began to use his brain. See, Peter was, was very familiar with boats, and this was even a storm that he hadn't seen. But Peter knew that because Jesus was now in the mix, that something great was about to happen. And Peter knew that the only way that he could experience a miracle of Jesus in his life at that very moment in his greatest time of need was to trust him. Would you agree with that? So he has to trust the Lord. And Peter realizes that the decision is that he must get out of the boat. He must leave the safety of what the boat represents. He must step out of that into the squalling waters, into the tumultuous foam that's being created by the churning waters around. Peter must leave the safety of the boat and step out into the unknown. You see, the boat is safe. It's secure. It's comfortable. Um, we all have our own kind of boat. Think about what, what makes you feel safe. Think about what makes you feel comfortable. That's your boat. And all of a sudden, you need to think about abandoning that boat and taking a step outside of that safety, outside of that familiarity, outside of the knowns, and do what all of your fears are telling you not to do, but to get out of the boat and to move ahead. You see, if you don't get out of the boat, there's, there's a guaranteed uh, fact that you will miss out on a miracle. 
If you don't get out of the boat, you will never experience miracles because inside of the boat is not where miracles happen. If you get out of the boat, then you have to come to grips to understand that it doesn't always work out the way you think it will and that the boat just might sink if you get out and there you are out in the troubled waters. But the story tells us that Jesus says that it doesn't matter what fears you have. I'm with you. Trust me, I'm here. You see, 57 years ago, a, a small band of believers got together and started meeting in a pastor's garage. And that became St. Paul United Methodist Church here in Largo. And, and why did they come together? They came together because they, they felt this deep passion within them that God really wanted to reach out in love to the people here in South Pinellas County. That the love of the Lord Jesus Christ was so great and so joyful that God wanted to reach all the people that were possible to, to be a part of God's saving and loving grace. And over those 57 years, some great things have happened in the life of our church. And in those early years, they began to see that, that because the way Largo was mapped out and as Largo began to develop and new homes began to come in, and as it shifted away from a retirement community uh, becoming a bedroom community, more and more people started migrating here and it built up. And the church was like the magnet that was attracting the spiritual desire of the people, which was the metal. And the two came together and the church exploded. And lots of things were happening in the early days in the life of, of our church here um, at St. Paul because people felt the connection that was there. But see, at some point in time in the Christian era, though, all that changed. You know, what happened positively 20 years ago even in our own communities, even in your own households, even with your children and your children's children. Things have changed in the community and the world in which we live. And the Christian era began to change. No longer was it an expectation that every Sunday that you would be in a church. In fact, today the statistics tell us that if we can have you in church one of uh, four Sundays a month, then we're doing pretty good. Why is that? Because our lives are complicated now. We are working harder. We are working longer. Ask any single mom. Ask any single dad. Ask any um, two-income household. Not just one, maybe two, maybe three jobs that they're working just to sustain the needs of what the family is pursuing for that all-American dream. And we are just spent out. And we have so many priorities that are begging for our attention today. I mean, we take a look at the advent of the technological revolution, and there are things now that are drawing us away from local houses of worship, that are drawing us away from places where, where we can meet God because we are just out in the world doing the things of the world, and life is complicated and life is busy. How we are a church today is different than it was in the days when I was growing up. Maybe even in the days when you were too. So the question becomes, what will we do about this? At some point in time, the 21st century church has to get on board with the changes of our communities. The 21st century church has to understand that the dynamics are different than they used to be. And we need to start thinking differently. We need to start operating differently. We need to take that same gospel message that never changes, but is always about God loves and accepts all people. And God came into the world to draw us into him, to reconcile our sins unto him, and that we would become, as we learned last week, just below, just below what God is, God's self. But we've got to change the way we think. 
We've got to change what we do. And we've got to take that gospel message that doesn't change into a world that every day is. Well, our second, our second story um, comes out of the book of Joshua. And Joshua was the one that became the leader after Moses died. Remember, Moses brought uh, the people out of Egypt. Moses uh, saw great miracles with the parting of the Red Sea. Moses saw the manna come to feed the people. For 40 years, they wandered in the, in the desert, and they kept holding on to that promise where God kept saying, the promised land is coming, the promised land is coming. It's there, it's there. Just, just keep following me, just keep following me. And Moses dies, and he's not the one that takes him to the promised land. And Joshua becomes the new leader. And what does Joshua do when any, any new leader comes into being the leader? Joshua says, I've got to survey the land. I've got to survey the topography. I've got to start asking questions. I've got to start finding out where are we? What are we doing? What's the morale of the people? But more importantly, what does our ultimate leader, God, want us to do? So Joshua commissions a couple of spies to go into the promised land. And they go in there and they begin to see all the things that God has promised them. Yes, all that's true. But they begin to see some people that are a little bit larger than they and armies that are bigger than theirs. And they come back to Joshua and the people. And Joshua says, tell us the great things that we'll experience when we go and possess the land. And they came in and they said, we can't go. Why can't we go? It's going to be too hard. They're, they're like giants there. We're like just little ants. They'll destroy us. But that's what God has promised us. It doesn't matter. We need to just stay where we are. We kind of caught it a little bit good here because God's given us this stuff called manna and some other things. And, and our forefathers have built these great houses and they, they've uh, produced all these great crops. And we can just live off of what our, what our forefathers and our foremothers have done. And Joshua said, but you're not getting it. This isn't what God wants. God doesn't want us to stay where we are. God wants us to possess the power of the promised land. You know, it sounds like the very place we find ourselves as a church, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we, we talk about our, our mission and our purpose as the church universal. We talk about our mission and our purpose as the local church, St. Paul United Methodist Church. But sometimes that's where we are. We start becoming afraid. We, get, we become afraid of the challenges that are out there. We're uncertain about what's coming next when money gets tied or when ministry starts becoming a struggle or when people are traveling and our worship houses aren't filled with people. All those worries and we look around and we start making reasons and excuses as to why we need to go back to what we were or stay where we are and we can't move ahead. To do that would miss the miracle, the very miracle that God has placed before us. You know, we find ourselves in a different world. The church today, I hate the word competition, but the church competes with the world. We're not to be of the in the world or of the world, we're to be in it. You know, Hopefully, the message that we convey, our lives that we share with others, the things that we are, the core value of who we are as a people should be enough to be that light that Jesus said that we are to shine amongst all people. And by our example and by our love and by our forgiveness and by our acceptance and all of those things, the world should know that the answers to life are not in the world, that they're with Jesus Christ. And that's the significance of the message that we bring. 
In chapter 24, Joshua reminds us that, that the road ahead is going to be hard, that it's dusty, it's going to be hard to see, that the road ahead is going to be like drought-filled at times, that the resources won't be there. But Joshua says we have to press on. We know that God has promised something, and we must press on in faith, believing that what God says is real and true. In chapter 24, he brings the people together at a place called Shechem. And Shechem is this really special place in the Bible where, where great things happened, where, where uh, miracles occurred, and the Israelites built an altar there. And it was one of the holy spaces of all of Israel. And they came back to this place, and Joshua brought them there. And he said, you know, we're, we're just a couple hundred yards away of getting into the promised land. We've waited a long time. But you know what? You have to choose. You have to make a choice right now, he says to the people. Are you going to stay in the desert? Or are you going to take a step forward? Are you going to stay in the boat? Or are you going to get out and walk on water? And he says these words to them that are, that are so powerful. You know, he says, this day you got to choose. You've know, you, you got you to build into these things. And it's not easy to make those choices, is it? I think all of us probably could say that there's a, an example in our own life where, where that was put before us. We either could do what we're doing now and do it well and be happy with that, or we could take a risk, or we could do something different, and maybe, just maybe, it would create a miracle in our life. And I think God is all about miracles. I don't think God created us, and I don't think God's desire is for us to be static at all. I don't think God wants us to have a laissez-faire attitude, a, a, a who cares. I think God wants us to be committed to the core and to stand up for something and to live it. And so, so Joshua brings the people to this very place. And I, and I remember in my own life as a career person, uh, I was a businessman before I became a pastor. So I, I, you know, I, I, I was working in a, in a field and I, was, I felt like I was good at it and I loved doing what I was doing. And I could have kept doing that and could have had it carved out a great life with that and could have just, I enjoyed it and, and it made a great life for us and, and it was where we wanted to be. But you know, when I look back on that, when God called me to ministry, I had to make a choice. I either had to stay with my past or I needed to take a step into the future. Like Peter, I either could stay in the boat of comfort and, and um, uh, consistency and uh, knowing what's going to happen every day and opportunity, or I could take a step out of the boat. And by stepping out of the boat, what, the miracle that God brought into my life was when I became a pastor, I began to see the miracles in your lives. I would have never seen those miracles had I not stepped out of the boat. I would have never seen those miracles had I not stepped forward and left my past behind. Listen exactly what Joshua says here in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14, 15. He says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Now notice he doesn't say serve the Lord with some or little or skosh, or whatever other words you want to throw in there. He says, serve God with all faithfulness. Folks, if that doesn't say all in, I don't know what does. And what that says is that there, there can't be this margin of error, that, that we have to be all in, that we have, to, we have to love God with everything that there is about us. We have to live the great commandment of loving God with all of our heart and mind and soul and everything about us and our neighbor as ourselves. 
He goes on to say, throw away the gods that your ancestors worshiped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's saying, whatever it is that distracts you from loving God first in your life, get rid of it. If God is not number one in your life, but your checking account is, or your car, or your house, or your career, or your kids, or your wife, or your husband, that can't be your priority. God has to be number one. And when God is number one, the fulfillment of all those things that we say can be priorities in our life, you know what? They become of greater value because God's first. And those things begin to develop with that. So he says, leave all those things behind. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether it's the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. So Joshua says then, and he says today, you gotta make, we've got to make a choice. Are we going to serve God? We're going to serve something else. If we can't, make God the priority, then we're missing something. And Joshua and Peter's stories both tell us that what's next is where the blessing comes. He says then this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Me and my household will serve the Lord. That means my kids and I will serve the Lord. My husband, my wife and I will serve the Lord. My grandchildren will serve the Lord. Anybody who's connected in my family, not just biologically, but, but also by, by baptism, we'll all serve the Lord. And that's the point. Serve God with everything that there is about us. So through the love and the faith of, of, of those who began this church 57 years ago, we're called to accept the role that we've been given. It's now up to us to carry the torch. As we look at our congregation, many of our folks are dying and graduating to heaven. Since 2006, we've had over 500 people who are part of our church die and go to heaven. 233 since 2006. So the torch is passed to us, and we have to make the choice. What will we do with this? We must remember from where we have come, but we have to leave behind where we've been so that we can move forward to the place of the promised land of where God is leading. To put it bluntly, Joshua's message for us today is this. If we're ready to possess the land that God has promised, then we can't keep looking backwards. But we must look ahead and we must see where we're going and possess what's been promised. Joshua's words said to the people that day, as well as us today, that we must choose. We can't be halfway. You can't half choose. You can't be a part of this church and our church. You've got to choose. You've got to be all in for Christ where you are. You can't just be happy at one moment and, and upset at the other. You can't choose to be uh, good with your stewardship when things are right and then bad when, you, when you're not. Happy. You've got to be all in all the time. There's no negotiation. There's no room of change. In fact, Joshua would be even more blunt with that, that if you can't find it here, if you can't be happy here, if you can't be 100% committed here, Joshua would say, you've got to go on. You've got to go do that somewhere else. The commitment piece of being all in. The question is, will we be all in? Let me tell you this. Your pastors and your staff, we're all in. And uh, in the highs and the lows, we're all in. We're committed. 
because we truly know that God's plan and purpose for his church, especially this one, is powerful and will continue to be the beacon of light. So my question to you this morning is, what about you? Are you all in? And I want you to pray about that because you know what? We need you to be. And when we know you are, great things 